The end of the world. As Christians, we do believe it's coming. Society as we know it will someday collapse, empires will fall, and the earth itself will dissolve as King Jesus returns in victory to establish his kingdom and recreate a new earth and new heavens. But what will that collapse, that day of doom, look like? And how can we be ready? For a long time now, people have been predicting the end of the world or some other global catastrophe like a nuclear war, earthquake, or massive societal collapse. Some have even tried to prepare for it. Doomsday preppers, as they're called, are known for stockpiling food, weapons, and other supplies as they await the end. Some Christians have gotten swept into the doomsday prepper movement because of the belief they must physically prepare for Armageddon, the return of Jesus, or World War III. The American Redoubt Movement is a migration movement that encourages like-minded people, mostly conservative Christian, to relocate to the inland northwest so they can be in a geographically safe area and make that area more conservative. Advocates of this movement encourage Christians to live off the grid, homeschool their children, grow their own food, raise livestock, hunt, fish, all so they can be self-sustaining in the event of a full-scale societal collapse. But what about the Great Commission? Is Jesus' vision for his people in the last days for them to isolate or to go into the unbelieving world with the message of the gospel? We know that Jesus is coming back and the earth as we know it will someday come to an end. But should Christians be doomsday preppers? Does the Bible even say anything about doomsday prepping? Welcome, everybody, to the Beards and Bible podcast. My name is Josh, and I'm joined, as always, by my beautiful and very godly and very uh, astute co-host, hmm. Gabriel Rutledge. Gabe, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing much better after all those kind words. No, yeah, I, I'm doing well. I um, regretfully agreed to... Uh, work out with some of my 11th graders the past um, couple weeks and uh, I've been feeling it because these guys are uh, these guys are in football players and in great shape and I'm scrawny 36 year old Gabe Rutledge uh, who hasn't worked out since probably since I was their age <laughs> so I'm kind of hurting this morning a little yeah bit yeah well you you were in the military for a little bit so you were at one point, I remember trying mm-hmm. to work out with you back after you came back from basic training. Mm-hmm. Do you remember mm-hmm. that running around Lake Hollingsworth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, was, I was probably in probably the best shape of my life that that year. Yeah, I I was not in good shape <laughs> in college. I ate a lot of double cheeseburgers from uh, Wendy's, and yeah. So, yeah. well, that's cool, man. I'm glad you're. Glad you're getting fit. Glad you're uh, getting getting back in shape. That's always that's always kind of humiliating when you see younger guys that are uh, that are like far more in shape than you are, and it's a lot less effort for them because they're younger. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think yeah. they just they recover a lot faster. I think too. Yeah, and the fragile male ego is a is a real thing because mm-hmm. we see that, and we're just like, oh, I know they're like. 20 years younger than me, but still. 
was like the other day I, I did a push-up contest with one of my 11th graders and he was just he was just talking smack talking smack and he finally I, I caved in and I was like all right I'll do this and uh he got a head start on me and then I doubled the, his push-up count I caught up and doubled his push-up count <laughs> and then I stopped but when I stopped I realized wait a second I am going to die tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, I'm partly, yeah. So. Your wife's like, hey, honey, can you help me open this pickle jar? And you're like, no, I can't, but it was still worth it. Yeah, seriously. It is a male yeah. ego thing. Or one time, I, it was about four years ago, I challenged an eighth grader of mine in a push-up contest. And we got to where we were clapping in between push-ups. Mm. And he went up to clap. And he came down and he didn't spread his hands out fast enough. And he caught himself oh, with no. his with his two front teeth <sighs> on a tile floor in my classroom. Oh. And seriously, all we see is one sh- one tooth shoot across the floor to the other oh, side of the room. No. <laughs> it's like just slides across the tile. And he stands up real quick and he's he's got blood trickling out between his, his <laughs> lips. And the first thing that came to my mind is like, oh, man, I am not a teacher anymore. No. Wow. Did you like stand over him and point and laugh and go in your face, in your face, in your face? <laughs> we all just surround him and laid hands and prayed on him. No, I'm just kidding. And the, the teeth, the tooth magically grew back after that. No, yeah. no. But yeah, his mom, his mom was very upset with him. And she, uh, she said that he likes to show off a lot. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly what's going yeah, on. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I think that's most guys when it comes to things like that. So, wow. That's cool, man. Yeah, so I had a very interesting uh, experience. 3 a.m. Tuesday morning. It's Monday night, Tuesday morning. Hmm. Uh, My wife, as some people know, is a hospice nurse. and She was on call Monday night. And um, if if you work in the medical profession, you swear by the fact that the full moon makes things happen. And Mm -hmm. so it was like a really, really full, vibrant moon. And she had been out late with a patient visit. I had already gotten the kids to bed and um, super tired. And all of a sudden, I hear my doorbell ringing at 3 Mm a.m., which is a very odd thing because I live in the middle of nowhere. We have a really long gate to get to our house, our long driveway to get to our house, and then a big security gate. So somebody coming up the driveway and ringing the door is like impossible unless somebody climbed over the fence and walked up our really long driveway and then got to our house and rung the doorbell. Yeah. Um, but they're ringing the doorbell and man, like, I don't know what it was. I guess I was just so freaked out. I got out of bed and sprinted down the hall. And as I'm sprinting down the hall, my legs come out from underneath me and my knee slams into the wood floor. Oh gosh. And I catch myself with my wrist and I like sprain my wrist and like skin my knee up. And so there's like kind of blood going down my knee and my wrist is all sprained. And I'm just like, mm. I have no, yeah. So I'm just like freaking out. <laughs> it's, I mean, nobody rings the doorbell and it's like not just one ring. It's like ding, 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 ding. And I'm like, what in the world? Gosh. So I don't, man, I don't know. Like I, I probably should have gotten my gun. I didn't get my gun. I just went straight to the front door and, uh, I get there and there's a sheriff's deputy and I was like, okay, well, you know, law enforcement's there. And I look out on the road, the main road, um, just beyond our fence and our gate. And there's, uh, an EMS, two police cars, and then a vehicle. So anyway, um, the police officer said, do you own any cows? And I was like, (laughs) 
no. And he's like, okay, do you know who owns cows across the field? I was like sitting there and my wife was right next to me. She goes, oh, it's the neighbor down the street or whatever. So anyway, um, a motorist had been driving down our highway right there in front of our house. And there had been three cows just like stacked that had gotten out and they were just like standing on the road and it's a 55 mile an hour speed limit. And I guess this car had not seen him because it was like a, you know, full moon. So they were out and he slammed into all three cows. Oh gosh. And uh, yeah, we had three dead cows in the ditch in front of our house. And mm. uh, yeah, lots of cow blood and the motors thankfully was okay. Everybody was okay. But uh, yeah, that was a, uh, I started thinking at that time though, maybe my security for my house in terms of a, a gate and a fence and all that stuff, maybe that's not quite as, uh, as strong as I thought it would be mm. like the unexpected. Yeah. Like you weren't prepared enough. Yeah. <laughs> like that. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know how, how you can prepare for a cow getting hit in front of your house at 3am. Like, uh, you, you falling and, and spraining your wrist and scuffing your, <laughs> scuffing your knee in your own home. Uh, that's like, <laughs> That's like SEAL Team 6 kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you. I, I felt so, you know, adequate if it was if it was something like a terrorist attack or a catastrophe. I'm like, man, I think I'm prepared after yeah. that, how I responded to that. So Marcus, Marcus the Trail from Lone Survivor will be proud. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh we're talking about doomsday prepping today. Unexpected events or catastrophes and how people prepare for that. And uh so obviously you've seen the level of preparedness that I have for the unexpected. Gabe, how how prepared would you say you are for emergencies or unexpected? Are you how would you rate yourself in the kind of prepper survivalist game? Um I so I grew up in Florida and just periodically we'd get slammed by hurricanes and be without electricity for yeah. God, God knows how long and have to like drink water out of our bathtub and and all that stuff. So I, I grew up kind of with that mindset. Like, you know, you should always, especially, especially as hurricanes, he's approaching early summer, you should start stocking up on stuff and getting your generator pulled out, changing the oil on it, making sure you got lots of gas and stuff. So I kind of grew up with that mentality, but not with the mindset that some people might have that the, the world is going to fall apart. And you know, that, that there's going to be a world without rule of law. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're prepared because I am a Floridian. <laughs> we had yeah. to be prepared. Sure. But um yeah, I wouldn't no, we're not we're not like we don't have tens of thousands of bullets and stockpile of, of weapons or anything like that. And no. Do do you own any guns? Well, I'm an um so I'm I'm a Floridian living in Alabama. <laughs> so, that so what do you think no, the answer so, uh, is boy? <laughs> so yeah, um when when my dad passed away it was like my my gun um my gun possession uh probably tripled in size <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah because my dad was a hunter and you know outdoorsman and stuff and um you know you can't when you when you get the the 30-06 that your dad used to to kill an eight point in 1992 you're like okay oh, you know, yeah, I, can't, I can't sell this thing you know and, Absolutely. and so it's yeah it just goes in a safe and um, it'll yeah. be something that's passed down you know, for generations. So, <clears throat> um, so it, it seems like your gun ownership is about like mine. I've got 
quite a bit of guns, but I'm, as a lot of people know, I, I, uh, I enjoy the outdoors and enjoy hunting. So mm-hmm. I don't really, um, don't really get into like assault rifles and tactical. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't own any handguns or anything like that. The, the guns that, that I do own, I use for, um, yeah, for hunting and for pest control on our property. Cause we live out in, uh, you know, we live out in the country. Um, yeah. do you think that, um, this is probably a bigger topic, but in the event of a unexpected emergency or catastrophe, would you be willing to shoot a person who came onto your property that was, uh, mm. up to no good? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big question. Yeah. Cause I've got, it really just depends. I, I mean, if you're, if you've got people that are coming onto your property, there's that level of I mean, I guess it just depends what their intent is. Um, yeah. You know, it. Yeah, it's a very tough question. If they're coming because they've just got an empty stomach, but they seem to be peaceful, obviously we're going to do our best to try to help them in any way. But, I mean, if you're living it, surrounded by roving bands of hungry people with guns, um, I suggest you, you get out. But, yeah, yeah that's, you've got bigger fish to fry, I guess. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's a... That's a probably a bigger topic, but um, mm-hmm. I think it's always interesting to me when you see people doing doomsday prepping, one of the essentials that people stock up on, mm-hmm. not all the time, but a lot of times is, you know, AR-15s and lots mm-hmm. of ammunition and stuff like that. And I'm always just kind of curious as to that, like, okay, so what what does that mean? Are you prepared to literally shoot on site anybody that comes yeah. looking for food in the case of a, you know, a fallout or whatever it is, you know, and I don't think sometimes people are asking that it's just kind of like, well, you know, just in case it's better to have it and yeah. not need it and need to not have it, you know? But meanwhile, you're living in like this, like huge sprawling metropolitan area where right. you know, <laughs> it's like, okay, really, you're going to, you're going to, you're, you're three, two house. That's, you know, wood frame <laughs> house. You're going to, that's going to be your final stand. Like now, you live in a subdivision called Sherwood Oaks. Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. That's, I mean, that's, I think, I think it's, so, so, you know, when we were all toddlers, we had this like security thing. We had like a blanket or a binky or something, you know, I think, you know, to a certain extent, some, for some people, uh, you know, owning a lot of firearms or, or ammunition, while I celebrate that and get, that's your right. That's, you know, absolutely. That's part of being an American is the fact that we have the right to, to have all that stuff. And it's wonderful as long as we can govern ourselves. Um, but I think you're a bit delusional if you think you're, you're going to, guard your your three two home in sherwood oaks um in the met in the atlanta metropolitan area when you know like i said if there is rule without world without rule of law i think yeah. you're a bit delusional if you think you're going to defend your home like that so sure well and and i think you know this is a bigger this this topic we're getting today about doomsday preppers um you know I, I think this is such an interesting topic because there's so much to be said in scripture about preparation and about wisdom and about um, being diligent for that. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but throughout the book of Proverbs, there's so many Proverbs that talks about, you know, being wise and preparing for the day of trouble and making sure that your, your barns and your storehouses have, you know, plenty in case that there is a, uh, you know, an emergency or disaster you see. Um, yeah. You know, Joseph in the book of Genesis, uh, 
you know, seven years of famine in the land of Egypt. So he stores up, uh, you know, for the seven years of plenty. So all of that's there. I, I don't think you can say that the Bible doesn't say that we're supposed to be prepared. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. I think some people can find security in their guns or, mm-hmm. you know, their, <laughs> their gold bars, you know, that they, they got off the late night infomercial after watching gun smoke. Uh, which is just funny. I, I just think it's funny that those commercials for, for gold and silver are always on the channels that old people watch. Uh, <laughs> How would you know? I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think, you know, the Bible says some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. It seems like there's a, a way in which some people could go too far and say, you know, in the event of the fallout, man, I've got all this stuff prepared. I've got this barn. Mm-hmm. stored full of all the munitions and stuff. And, and Jesus told a parable about a guy who, um, you know, his life was going pretty good. And he filled up his barn with all this stuff and he goes, everything good's going to happen. Nothing bad's ever going to happen to me. And and the Bible says that very night, the Lord appeared to him and said, you fool, your very life, your, your very life is now required of you this night. Remember that parable? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that is to say we're far less in control over the things that happen to us than we sometimes like to think. And there's no such thing as a fail-proof plan to uh, protect us in the event of, you know, a, a cataclysmic disaster or whatever. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the first, um, well, prep, prepping is a is an ancient concept. And, yeah, like it goes back to Joseph, you know, even further back than that probably, but um, one of the things I had pleasure to experience when I went to Israel a couple of years back was climbing on top of this plateau, this desert fortress out in the middle of the Dead Sea um, Valley area, about 1300 feet above the Dead Sea was a mountaintop called Masada. Hmm. And Herod built this sprawling fortress on top of this, oh man, it, it must be like 12 to 14 acres in size on top of this mountain. And uh, that was going to be like his last stand if there ever was a coup of some kind. And in this fortress, he had probably a dozen or so massive storehouses for corn and grain and rice. And I mean, you name it, he had, he had flocks of goats living up there all the time and goat herders that would take care of them. And he had, um, massive, uh, cisterns for water that would catch all this water and stuff, but he could, you know, historians say that he could have lived up there indefinitely with what he Hmm. had going on up there. Um, and there it's, what's interesting is there is no historical account of him ever stepping foot on top of Masada, even though there was just, you know, in in our probably billions of dollars in our, our standards um, of infrastructure put on top of this mountain. Um, Yeah. So he just built it and never used it. Right. Right. It was a massive waste of the resources of of people um, that he was, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it was neat to see that because I was like, wow, this is, this guy was really, um, I mean, looking out for his, his own power, his, he was very paranoid. Um, mm-hmm. and that's, that's the danger I think with, with not, not all obviously, but sometimes when people get into this mode of prepping, um, it can be, it can, it can pull their resources in an area that where they should be, um, away from where they should be and their mental energy and, and imaginations and thought processes. Um, they can, they can paralyze a person. Right. Um, and prevent them from, from being effective for the kingdom. Yeah. Well, and, and 
you know, I found an article on um, religionnews.com that I shared with you uh, about doomsday prepping from like a Christian perspective and how Christians sometimes, and interestingly enough, sometimes lead the charge. And at least the, here in the States, mm-hmm. the doomsday prepping movement. And a lot of it probably goes back to our understanding of kind of apocalyptic timing and what we believe about, you know, where the world is headed. I mean, we, we do believe the world is getting worse and it's going to collapse until Jesus comes back and, mm-hmm. you know, wipes the slate clean and sets up shop. So we believe that that's in the Bible, all that stuff. But it's interesting, you know, um, this article talks about uh, Y2K in 1999. Do you, do yeah. you remember Y2K? How, I do, yeah. Uh, you know, and for some of our younger listeners, Y2K was kind of this belief that at the strike of midnight in uh, 1999, when the new millennium began from 1999 to 2000, that, uh, you know, the computers had been programmed uh, only with two digits. So, like, you know, 97, 98, instead of, you know, 1997 and 1998. So the, the thought was like all the, the power grid is just going to go completely black. Yeah. And so we're not going to have any power. Our cars aren't going to work. There's not going to be any, you know, internet. There's not going to be any TV, nothing. And so everybody, you know, the whole, all of society is going to collapse. Well, that didn't happen, right? But in Christian circles, I can remember the church we were attending, man, we had like, we had like a Y2K like small group. <laughs> oh, wow. Interesting. <laughs> Where, I mean, I, I literally remember going to like a Sunday school class with my parents and it was like before church, like six weeks where they talked about like survivalist stuff hmm. and, um, you know, talked about everybody getting ready with, you know, dried, uh, wheat berries and water and kerosene heater and all that. And all that stuff is good to have. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was almost like it was a foregone conclusion in the minds of some people that it was going to happen. And then when it didn't, there was almost like this disappointment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and it was just, I, I don't know. I, I just think back on that. This is so interesting that, that like, why is it that Christians were the ones that were the most paranoid about that? when we're the ones that claim to believe in a sovereign God who, according to Romans eight twenty eight, works all things together for our good and as our provider and as our protector, but yet we seem to be the ones leading the charge with the paranoia. I, I just didn't, I didn't quite get that even as a kid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. Cause yeah. I mean, playing, playing devil's advocate. I mean, like you, let's say Y2K did, did implode, like everything imploded and uh, mm-hmm. systems went down for six months or whatever. You know, if the church was really prepared, I mean, it could have been a shining moment. That's true. Yeah. For people who did prepare. And I mean, your immediate community could have been richly blessed by your presence. Sure. But um, I don't know how effective it could be if it's like one out of, you know, 10 million. (laughs) Right. right, right. Prepared. But. And, yeah. and maybe that was the the thrust behind it. And maybe, you know, just as a kid, I didn't really get it, you know, because I was, yeah. you know, 15 or 14 or whatever I was, you know. So it, you don't really understand that when you're that age. You're just kind of wondering why everybody's freaking out, you know, talking about kerosene heaters and, you know, <laughs> yeah, surplus food in your garage. You're like, I wanted to put my bike there, but there's big giant uh, buckets of corn. Awesome. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I think you're right. I think, you know, if the heart behind it is like, hey, in the event that this happens, we're going to be like, 
you know, salt, salt and light and yeah, yeah, absolutely. And maybe I missed that. I don't know, but um, yeah. uh, you know, I was reading on this article uh, about this thing called the American readout, and I didn't really know what that meant, like the readout thing. And I was researching it last night. The word readout is a military term, basically for like a last stand, like an outpost kind of. Mm-hmm. So if like you're like fighting a battle and everybody falls back to a readout, it's like a a retreat basically that everybody's kind of gathering in. So kind of like after Y2K in the early two thousands, there is uh, this movement um, mostly amongst conservative Christians to leave society, basically to leave cities, to leave um, communities and to move to the inland Northwest. That's what they're calling the readout. This kind of outpost away from society. And it's uh, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, and then parts of like Eastern Oregon and Washington. Mm-hmm. So it's like this region that they're calling the readout. And, um, you know, people are going out there, living off the grid, you know, solar panels, well water, uh, you know, <laughs> no... Uh, cell phone service, no, no, you know, anything just they're encouraging people to live off their grid, homeschool their kids, grow their own food, raise livestock, hunt fish. Um, you know, not really tell people where they live so they can be safe from, you know, other people. And it's this like uh, whole movement to kind of move to this place. That's a geographically safe area from any natural disasters. And mm-hmm. apparently like this, this region has like uh you know, everything that someone would need to survive, like, you know, pea, wheat, and lentil fields, hydroelectric dams. Uh, it's free from, you know, hurricanes, earthquakes. It's free from any place of nuclear attack. And and really the goal behind a lot of people, and this is just quoting this, uh, this article, it says the other goal is to take an already conservative Christian area and make it more conservative by encouraging conservatives coast to coast to move here to make a red state a deeper shade of red. Uh, conservative Christian families tend to have large families. So demographically, we've already won the war. If liberals moving here have 1.8 children, we have 3.5. We win. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's, they, they broke they broke our, our rule, and that is you put you never put a an adjective in front of Christian, <laughs> right? And that, yeah. that I mean yeah. that, that's what they did. They said conservative Christian families. So they're identifying first as a conservative, second yeah. as a Christian. So this is a political movement. With yeah, I mean, it certainly seems that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you get a chance to watch those videos I sent you last night about? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And it, that's the thing is like it that kind of stuff appeals to me because I'm thinking, okay, this is you know, it's like a sanctuary. I've got kids. I want to look out for my kids. I want my kids to marry good kids. Mm-hmm. I want you know, I want them to ra- be raised in this wonderful environment without the contamination of the world. And you know, that's just that's a farce. And I would love that for them, and maybe there is a mm-hmm. place where that's possible. But if I raise my kids in an, in a place that is not contaminated by the world, yet they still are contaminated by sin because they're human beings fallen and in need of a savior, then yep. ultimately I'm setting them up for failure. Now, yep. obviously, I want to surround myself with a community of people that that you know, just like we have our congregations, we have our our local church, right? Mm-hmm. And we want to do that. We want to plug into that and 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 serve that local community and, and serve people within that. But it's good, believe it or not, for them to see sin and the consequences of sin. Yeah. 
because it inoculates it. It's like it, it hits their immune system and it can, it can build their immune system to sin to be even stronger. Sure. Well, and the, um, the video I sent Gabe was a, basically a news report of them interviewing some of these people that are living in the readout, you know, living in this area. And one of the guys, and I, I it was just kind of, I don't know. I, I just, I was kind of just shaking my head. He, he owns a gun store. And in the back of the gun store is a church that he pastors. Hmm. Do you remember that guy? Yeah. Yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. It's it funny because <laughs> I was thinking like, how does that work with pain? Like who pays the rent on that? You know, like, I know. Um, and it was just funny is like how he d- described himself. He goes, I am a, I think he said first conservative, second lover of the constitution, third, second amendment, uh, supporter. And then like the fourth or fifth adjective was Christian. Hmm. And, um, you know, his whole thing was, we're moving to the readout. We're, you know, getting all these other families in here in the readout to almost like, you know, they, they, the language they use for themselves, were, we're, we're kind of like the Puritans leaving England. Like, this is what we're doing. We're doing it. Yeah. Um, and so like, I don't know, man, like I'm watching that and I just kind of, I don't know. I was perplexed. I was just kind of like, okay, like I can see some of that being, I guess, noble, but then at the same time, I'm just like, if everybody around you thinks like you talks like you votes like you believes like you, mm-hmm. how do, I mean, how does, how does that work where you're actually doing like the mission of Jesus? Cause like, as far as I understand, Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, mm-hmm. but you're going off the grid. <laughs> you, you think, do you think like, man, you're, you're going to get away from the world as far away from the world as you, physically possible right yeah um you know and 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 i don't know man i again there's balance to this i i don't think that it's wrong to again want to raise your kids in a safe environment so you know like you homeschool your kids there's a ton of homeschool families that you know come to the church that i pastor i'm I'm all for that man that's great that's awesome but i I don't know it just it, it there was something in my spirit just watching this guy talk and watching kind of this whole, you know, enclave of, uh, of people that, that, that had this mentality that just kind of thought, man, I, I just, I think we're missing something. I don't think this is the view that Jesus had for his people, especially in the last days, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I think he was trying to form, it looked like almost like a paramilitary kind of, yeah. situation and I, yeah. I think i think that's a whole other level as well to uh, you know you're you're going to be forming a like a militia of sorts but you know um this, this kind of falls into i think that category of balance and mm-hmm. moder- moderation you know like i remember going to my grandmother's house and and she would have like this whole room full of canned like pickled stuff that she probably grew in her backyard and you know amazing stuff that uh, you know it just in case there was a tornado or something like that, but really she gave tons of it away on a regular mm-hmm. basis. Yeah. Um, you know, she would constantly be rotating stuff off of this, this shelf that she had with like all kinds of pickled stuff that she grew. Right. And she would give it to families. She would give it to us when we came and visited her, but she always, I mean, gosh, my grandma could probably live off of pickled eggs and <laughs> pickled, pickled, whatever for probably six months. She'd just be sitting there in her cellar. Yeah. But, 
you know, that's just, that's just how Americans did it back in our grandparents' generation. They just always had, they, they always had stores of food because well, they lived through the great depression and through exactly too. And yeah, I mean, yeah, they didn't have this like safety net of like food stamps and stuff, mm-hmm. that, you know, and, and you know, that, that may go away. I have no idea, but I think, so in other words, if you're listening, I think if, if you have six months to a year's worth of food in your home, I think that's, that's probably fine. That's probably okay. That's, you know, you, you, you might be smarter than me, and also think no, of that's it like not, that's not hard. Let's just be honest. <laughs> well, you know, like let's say I I lost my job, and I burned through my savings pretty quickly. Um, you know, if there wasn't the safety net of having like the government step in and being like, "Here, we're going to provide food for your for your family," um, what would I do? You know, I'd have to depend on those around me. So I think if you're doing that with two things in mind, you know, like feeding your family um, in time of crisis or feeding others who you're connected with who are in a time of crisis. I think that that's good. That's yeah. noble reasons. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I think what's interesting is one of the videos that, that, um, that I was watching about this American readout movement, you know, people that are, you know, according to their own definition, they're conservative Christians, but they also put in all the other labels, constitutionalists, yeah. people, all this stuff. One of the guys is sitting there talking and he goes, you know, when the fallout happens, when the day of reckoning happens, when all this stuff happens, happens, um, all these people you thought were your friends aren't going to be your friends. It's every man for himself. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, and, I remember that line. <laughs> and I just, I just sat there and threw my hands up. I'm just like, are you serious? Like, is that the, the heart posture a follower of Jesus is supposed to have to, towards their neighbor? <laughs> like, how do you reconcile that with this whole idea love your neighbors yourself if you just think everyone is going to turn on you and like i'm i'm ready to shoot anyone on site i mean that honestly was what some people i mean i don't know if they explicitly said it but i mean like that's kind of the message that you got from seeing their property and seeing their you know we're loading up on guns and ammunition and barbed wire and all that stuff and if something happens we're going to our little you know, bug out shelter and somebody comes on our property looking for food, we're ready to shoot to kill because we're looking out for number one. It's kind of like, how does that, (laughs) how do you reconcile that with your Christian faith? Like, I don't, I don't understand that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. It's, 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 ah, man, it's a whole, but it's a whole subculture of, of people that, um, that exist in America. I mean, it's just the fact that it's just, and, and it's, perpetuated by Hollywood. It's perpetuated by, you know, um, economic instability. Uh, it's perpetuated by, um, boredom. I mean, I mean, if you look Mm -hmm. at some of these, look at some of these people, like if you look at some of these people in these, in these videos or in these articles, their biggest enemy is not a world without rule of law. Their biggest enemy is probably heart disease. Like they're, yeah, 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 yeah. they're all obese. That's a, it's a weird thing to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not knocking that, but it's like, you you're you're probably gonna like diabetes is gonna take you before be, before <laughs> yeah. the government comes to take all your guns you know what i'm saying yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. like if you want to prolong your life take care of the the body that god gave you you know you're right yeah no and I, th- I thought that was super interesting too i don't know why there were so many people who were like not just a little bit overweight but like you know seriously obese mm-hmm. that were doing this and and i thought it was interesting too like um just how many of them seem to be very affluent. And so they have the financial mm. margin to do this. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, you know, if you're, you know, working your, your fingers to the bone, trying to put food on the table to provide for your kids, you're probably not going to have that margin of finance and time to (laughs) stockpile munitions and supplies in an outbuilding outside your house for, you know, 10 to 15 years in case of a nuclear fallout, because you're just trying to live now, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's people who are older, who are more affluent, who, you know, I, and I just thought that was kind of interesting. It's, it's kind of like, okay, you, you realistically have like 10 years left in your life anyway, you know, mm-hmm. if you're fortunate enough to live that long and yet you're preparing for the next 30. So what's that about, you know? Yeah. And, you know, let's, let's just play devil's advocate for a second and just say, what if tomorrow week we wake up and the stock market has crashed and, and there has been, um, you know, you know, so, something cataclysmic has happened in the United States of America or the world that um, suddenly people have gone crazy. Okay, um, what would that look like for for Gabe Rutledge and his family and and the congregation that I shepherd? Mm-hmm. We would probably go. We would probably all physically meet up somewhere without all of that stuff, right? And we'd have to have to pull together what we could just put in a backpack and come together and, you know, just, just huddle up together and be like, what's the plan, you know, and, <laughs> and do our best. And so then we, it'd be more reliant upon like, um, people's leadership skills, people's conflict resolution skills, um, people growing and gathering food or water or whatever, you know? So, um, I don't, I don't know that, if, if we're going to be staying engaged in local fellowship and community, um, you know, I don't, I don't know that we could, we could do a lot of this stockpiling stuff and really think that we're going to hunker down and, and be okay. Unless, unless like you're one of these people who, who live on these big plot of land and you, you can, you can be that for other people who are coming from right. your local assembly to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really, I really do think the chances of that happening in the United States of America are pretty slim right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think our biggest threat um, as us for us as believers is figuring out how to not assimilate into the world, right? Be be lured into the world th- through our passions and our and our desires and sure, you know how how to live set apart and how to live holy. That's that's probably our biggest threat right now. Yeah, and I and I think the you know just from like a biblical worldview seeing and reading about this, you know, exodus of, of conservative Christians out of all these areas coming to this one particular region mm-hmm. with the thought of we're getting away from the sin and corruption of the world and coming and kind of forming our own, you know, society out here. And it's going to be safe from crime. It's going to be safe. From, you know, <laughs> in my mind, man, I just got done teaching on Romans seven last week. So mm-hmm. I'm like, Okay, so there's only one problem, and you say this in recovery all the time, wherever you go, there you are. Hmm. So there's still sin. Yeah, yeah. There's still the propensity for corruption existing. Why? Because there's people there. So it's almost like the biblical worldview gets thrown out sometimes when we start talking in lines of conservative and liberal because we're just like, well, if it's just all a bunch of conservatives, then man, everybody should be good. And it's like, no. No, there's still sin and it's just in different forms. And, um, you know, 
it's still going to pop up. I mean, it doesn't matter how you know everybody around you votes the same way you do and carries guns and all that stuff. You're still going to have corruption and sin. Like, there's no no escaping that till Jesus comes back, right? I mean, we're yes. we're supposed. To, I mean, that's why we we we're supposed to be law abiding. That's how we have the law to to you know be that you know restraining of disorder and all that stuff. Yes, and amen to that. But this idea that like if we just surround ourselves with other people that look just like us, then sin's not going to be here. Well, that's that's a farce. That's a misnomer. It is. It's just going to pop up in different areas. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I think it's also a very dishonest view of the self to, to say like the, the problem with the world is all these other people, not me, you know? Yeah. Um, well, and, and it's all coming from, you know, all of this is motivated by attitudes of self-preservation and, right. And the gospel calls us to the opposite of self sacrifice um and you know we're not supposed to be irresponsible with our lives or anything like sure. that but yeah so i mean so i like i said this i kind of feels like it always goes back to moderation you know oh, and, yeah. and having yeah. balance and you know it, we even when we first saw this whole covid thing came coming last year i was about to bring um, that up because this yeah. this is a very it almost is very familiar i'm watching this doomsday prep and stuff and i was like yeah that kind of feels like my mindset a year ago because yeah i remember a year ago man we were like heading to Sam's club and putting stuff in the freezer and mm-hmm. <laughs> toilet paper was like gold. <laughs> so yeah, it's like, yeah. we're like, is this the new currency? I mean, you know, that's funny. Yeah. And for those who are listening who are outside the United States of America, for some reason, when COVID started coming our way, we all th- thought the same thing by toilet paper and Europeans are just like, Oh man, there's duvets. If you used a duvet, that would be a, <laughs> yeah, no, don't do that. A duvet is a bedspread. Yeah. A bidet, not a duvet. Yeah, but yeah. So, but we did. We sent out an official communication to all of our attendees at our congregation. We think it might be wise that you go and buy at least ten to fourteen days worth of staples that you could li- that you could live on. Yeah. Um. And it, you know, don't don't freak out. But in the next few days, maybe go and think about buying some some staples that you use on a regular basis. And a lot of people did that, but you know, it, it ended up the stores remained open. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but for some people, maybe they felt uncomfortable going to the stores and they decided just to shelter in place. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, uncertainty, but so we did, we did officially say prepare a little bit. Right. Um, it's not a bad, but it wasn't like, you know, stock up, um, on guns and ammo. We, you know, it's not <laughs> right. It's not where our heart is at. <laughs> um, but we did say, you know, it's, we should prepare to a certain extent. If not for your own family, then families in your immediate community would benefit from what you do to prepare. Right. So, I mean, there is a degree of wisdom in, in seeing on the horizon what's coming and preparing for that. Sure. And I think, like you said, the, the intent is everything there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we did something similar. We, um, it's kind of funny, right when this started happening, it was about a year ago, I guess, you know, about, mm-hmm. you know, a little over a year ago, um, we have a ministry that goes out and takes, um, non-perishable food items to to people in the community that may need it um, every month. And so there is a surplus food um, pantry. It's kind of like an organization that, you know, grocery stores have surplus food items they need to get rid of. And they're just kind of like, hey, who needs it? And so they give it to this organization. That organization gives it to food banks around our region here in Tennessee. And so they reached out to us around that time and was like, hey, 
you know, we're, we're not sure what's going to happen with stuff. And we've got warehouse that's stacked full of food. Do wow. you guys want a delivery every month? And we were like, yes. And so this time last year, man, we started really stockpiling our food pantry at the church. And so we were reaching out to people in our church community, you know, checking on everybody. Is everybody okay? Do you need anything? We've got, you know, all the surplus food for you if you need it. And so, um, yeah, I mean, the whole point behind that was not to, I'm going to look out for me number one first, but mm-hmm. let's, let's keep an eye on the community. Let's make sure everybody's okay, you know, and, and, you know, throughout the year, cause we, we live out, you know, in a more rural area, we had tornadoes recently and flooding recently and mm-hmm. an ice storm recently. And I, I've always felt like the people in our particular community, um, particularly believers, you know, that, that attend our church and other churches as well. The mindset is always, if there's a tornado or an ice storm, how's everybody doing, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, getting on, yeah. getting in the truck and riding around and checking on houses and saying, is everybody, everybody okay? Anybody need anything? You know, do you need a generator? All that stuff, man. That to me, that is the call of the gospel is, to be salt, to be light, to love your neighbor. Like that's in the event of a disaster, what we're supposed to be, right? Yeah. And the opposite of that is I'm going to my bunker (laughs) with my 15 foot security fence with barbed wires and I'm hanging out at my machine guns nest. And if you step on my property, I'm shooting to kill. Like that's not who we're supposed to be. That's not what we're called to be, you know? Right. Um, so what would you say to a Christian who believes that you have to physically prepare for the return of Jesus? What would Mm. you say to that? Like, Hey, Jesus is coming back. Okay. Let's go into the bunker. (laughs) Well, I believe it or not, Josh, I have had people tell me that (laughs) people tell me that I need to, you know, go to certain places that are going to be safe. That's the only place I mean, just, just you, I mean, you've experienced just, Oh yeah. People have, but you know, there, um, I, I, I like Matthew 24, um, because it's there that Jesus says that I'm looking for the verse exactly here. Um, uh, is it, is it Matthew 24? Do not turn back, do not turn back to get your coat, mm-hmm. um, and pray yep. that your flight not be on the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, in other, in other words, like I'm going to be coming at a time when, when you don't expect it, it's going to be a surprise. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to have time necessarily to get all of your pickup truck and your trailer loaded up so that you can go out to your your bug out location and set up shop there. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna come like a lightning bolt basically. Yeah. Um. And I I think. Yeah, I think I think nothing in the Bible tells me. I'm just gonna go with nothing in the Bible says to prepare for the return of Christ. Like in in other than getting my house spiritually in order and making yes. sure that I'm, I'm, I'm ready to be called a good and faithful servant. Yes. Um, and and that seems to be most, most of the thrust of the biblical passages when it talks about the imminency of Christ, the return of Christ is be spiritually prepared. Right. And so I can't look yeah. at someone honestly and say like, Hey, you need to be stocking up on this. Or you need to be stocking up on that because the tribulation is coming. You know, I have no idea what the tribulation is going to look like. If we're going to be around for that, I have no idea, mm-hmm. but I, I would say, Oh, you're stocking up on food. Okay here i'm going to challenge you when you're doing this for every can of beans that you buy and bring into your home are you asking yourself are you willing to give that away to a family has need Mm -hmm. because if if you're not willing to give that away then that's that's idolatry you're you're idolizing yourself in your life and 
And I would say that, like, are you willing to, that's great, do that. Are you willing to give that to a family that shows up on your property that's hungry or an individual that shows on your property that's hungry? And I think that's a good balance to strike, but not, yeah, I can't tell someone thus saith the Lord, you have to stock up on it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's interesting when it talks in the book of Revelation about the ones who overcame, the saints who overcame the, um, you know, in some interpretations of that would be the, the saints who overcame in the midst of the tribulation or they overcame the, the, the dragon, which is this personification of the enemy. It says they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimonies for they love not their lives even unto death. Yeah. And so this idea of, are we loving not our lives even unto death hmm. when it comes to these sorts of things? So let's just say, you know, that verse in particular is talking about the saints of God during the great tribulation. What does it mean to love not your life even unto death? Does it mean that you're like, I'm going to survive all seven years of great tribulation with my, my machine gun nest and I'm going to do it, Jesus? Like, <laughs> no, I mean, the whole idea is like you lose your life, then you're going to be in the presence of God, right? It's not this game of who can, you know, it's not yeah. like hide and seek for Jesus. Like, I, I made it, you know. <laughs> I survived the whole seven years, right? Um, this whole idea of like, man, this life is so temporary mm-hmm. and eternity is so long. And so our investment should not be in this life. Our investment should be in the life to come. And I think when I hear people that get all freaked out and paranoid, you know, oh, he's coming back. I'm, I'm going to go buy some guns. I'm just like, do you not understand the whole idea behind eternity? Like, you're not supposed to be loving your life that much here. You're supposed to be looking at the life to come and you're supposed to be looking at other people who don't know the source of eternal life, Jesus and investing in them. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the whole argument with the, you know, I, I am pro second amendment, obviously. I mean, that's, I think it's, it's a very, it's a very good. For safe. our listeners outside of the United States, define what that is. Well, the, the right for Americans to have firearms. Right. I think, even if not, for nothing else, um, to dissuade uh, tyranny from happening, mm-hmm. you know, just even if you just have a, a firearm in your home and it sits there and you've never fired a shot of it, like I, I, I'm, I'm supportive of that. Sure. But listen, if the government's going to come around and and they've got bigger guns and more resources, and they're like, we need your guns, I'm going to give them my guns. And that's really unfortunate if it comes to that. But there are there are Christians who will say you have to pry it out of my cold dead fingers, right? And <laughs> I'm, I'm like, die yes, for this. Yeah. No, no. God, God wants you to live, and He doesn't want you to die for your guns. He doesn't because your your children. Here's what your kids are gonna have to say. Oh yeah, my dad got locked up because he refused to give up his AR-15. You know, yeah. or my dad got shot and killed by the feds because he refused to give up. Don't do that. Raise yeah. your kids. That's not a hill that you need to die on. It's a very unfortunate hill that we've encountered if it comes to that but give up your firearms and keep on living and raising disciples for our master right and yeah. and raise your kids you know it's funny even just you saying that there's going to be so many people oh, listening sure. to that bristle and like no i will die for that and i and i really think i really think that that is a really good point that's a really good heart check right what are you mm-hmm. willing to die for yeah are you willing i mean are you willing to die for your messiah that's, that's who you should be willing to die for. Um, are you willing to die for your family? I, I think you should be willing to lay down your life for your family. But are you willing to lay down your life for a political ideology that in the grand scheme of things is very temporary? Uh, 
I don't know. <laughs> You'd be thinking about that, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that people who have laid down their lives for liberty and freedom did so in an unworthy manner. Not at all. I think they did, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a great heart check question. I don't, and I honestly don't know the answer to that, but other than I think we do need to be asking like, what are, what are the essentials in, in these yeah. last days? You know, what, what is it that we need to be really thinking through, you know? And, and the unfortunate thing is we've married so much of those things to the Christian faith. Sometimes we don't know where one begins and one ends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like that's a whole big good. package, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's a very conservative Christian thing to do as opposed to a Christian conservative thing to do. I think you, you, um, the, the, the conservative movement, political movement in America has done a great job of, of, of marketing, um, political ideologies as something that's integrated into your faith. And there is a lot of overlap probably. I mean, the Mm -hmm. pro-life movement, um, and there's, I'm not going to go through the list or anything, but there's a lot of overlap, but the Republican party or the libertarian party or tea party, whatever party is not, is not going to dictate to me the tenets and the values of my faith. The The word of God is going to hundred percent. So yeah, if there's something, yeah. And we can, we can extrapolate this on a different episode, obviously, but I mean, we have in past episodes, but yeah, yeah. Um, that's that that that's where we run into a problem and you know that's where where a lot of leaders in history world leaders in history when they can package something as part of your religion or part of your faith whether for good or whether for bad just be very careful of that be very weary and skeptical of that keep a sober mind look at it objectively look at it scripturally through and and just just be be careful 100% yeah, I had a conversation with a guy yesterday. We were talking about these kinds of things. This dude was just he's just angry. And he knew he was angry. Um, but he was talking about how he'd been out of church for a long time and he had been away from people a long time. He just said, I've just been so angry at people this whole year. Mm-hmm. All these people destroying our country, all these people messing with all these. And I just listened for about 45 minutes. And finally, I just said, hey, brother, um, do you know that uh, that we're all sinners? <laughs> yeah. And he just kind of like blinked and looked at me and, and just kind of, it was like a deer in headlights. Like, And I just said, hey man, the, the great lie of the political narrative that you've been fed and I've been fed for the past year is that the evil that exists in the world is the responsibility of those people on the other side of the aisle. Yeah. I said, but the reality is we are all sinners in need of grace. And I said, self-righteousness is not the answer. Blame, yeah. blaming, that's not the answer. I said, if you, as long as you see the other person that is on the other side of an issue as, you know, as long as those people got out of here, then our country would be, you know, I, I said, that's, that's a misnomer, man. We're, we're broken. We're in need of grace. We need Jesus. Like, but yeah. what what we do is we're discipled by, talk radio we're discipled by political ideologies and narratives and then we 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 get discipled primarily by that and then we reach for one or two scriptures to infuse in that to -hmm. almost justify that and we go okay we're like that guy on the on the video and the readout that i shared earlier we go i'm a constitutionalist a second amendment guy a libertarian a freedom guy and also a christian 
Yeah. And it's like, no, the call from King Jesus is to literally deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. You are a follower of Jesus first before you're anything else. Hmm. And that, that, that changes everything about how you view other people, about how you view your response in the case of a cataclysmic fallout, about how you review your, the priorities in life. Like, we have got to, we've got to somehow, I don't know how, other than just to keep going back to the word, we've got to unhinge our understanding of reality um, from this weird mix of Americanism and a little bit of Jesus. It's got to be Jesus first, Jesus only, Jesus like above anything else. And then, yes, I am an American. And then, yes, I am a supporter of the Second Amendment or whatever else. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, you're talking to your friend, like an, another thing that's kind of a misnomer is that we have to wait for our political party to fix evil in our right. world. When some of the most um, amazing and profound and significant opportunities to be justice where there has been injustice are right there within your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. 100%. Finding, finding a young man that needs a father yeah think, think about the the ramifications of pouring into that young man and like taking him fishing or discipling him and and, yeah. and you know just being a father to that young man well you and could, when yeah absolutely <laughs> dude like when when i get people that get all mad at you know they come to me and pastor did you see what's happening on the news in washington dc or in you know minnesota and all this stuff i'm like hey brother we've had three people in their 30s in our congregation overdose on opioids in our community just this week. So I, I don't, I know in, in, yeah. in all, with all due respect, what's going on in Minnesota with black lives matter, that is not as important to me as what's going on in our County when it comes to things like black tar heroin. Yeah. And it's, why do we get outraged about those things, but we don't look at what's right in front of us and go, man, something's broken here. What are we doing to fix it here? <laughs> mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Hey, I want to recommend a, an amazing documentary. It's called Mully, M-U-L-L-Y. You can watch the entire thing on YouTube. And I've been playing it for all my classes this week. So good. It's so good. If you're listening, Josh, have you watched it? I have not. I've never heard of it. Yeah. Oh, man. I. And here's the thing. Like, It made me so angry when I watched this. You're talking about affecting change within your local community. And this guy was this. Oh, it's so good. Why is this guy not a celebrity within the Christian faith. Why are we, why are we putting these people on pedestals who don't, should not be there? But this guy, I've never heard of him my entire life. He's been doing this stuff since the nineties. Amazing documentary, wow. amazing man. What does he Check do? His name Just... is Charles, Charles Mully. Um, he lives in Kenya and he grew up a street boy. Um, and he became by, you know, his forties, he became a multimillionaire in Kenya, um, just through working hard and starting businesses and stuff. And, um, and then he walks, he, he turns his back on it all. He, he gives up on all of it and he starts taking in hundreds of kids into his own home with he and his wife and his own kids, hundreds of street kids. And they wow. start feeding them and clothing them and bathing them. Many of them have HIV. Um, wow. but this thing just grows from there. And, but you have to watch the film. It's so good. And wow. I don't, I don't know why I've never heard of this man. And it makes me yeah. literally makes me angry that I've never heard of Molly M U L L Y. But you can watch the full thing on YouTube. That sounds awesome. I have to look that up. Yeah, it's really well made too. Very cool.
Very cool. Well, awesome. Well, thank you, Gabe, for uh, this conversation today. And yeah. hopefully we uh, talked through these issues and, and, you know, infused some sort of biblical perspective in them, hopefully. so. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. I think, I think for me, the, the overarching theme and maybe the, the essence of it all is m- moderation and, mm-hmm. and perspective of being, being salt and light. Hundred percent. Um, yeah. So, I want, hey, can I give a quick shout out to my friend Adam, who absolutely faithfully watches and always. He's a fellow teacher, teaches at my school, and he, on a regular basis, pops his head in my classroom. And is like, hey, I, I like this episode. I like where you said this or that, and or you know. So he's always he's always very engaged and listening. So thank you, yeah, Adam, for, for listening. Absolutely, thank you, Adam. And uh, our Enneagram episode. I mean, just as soon as we posted it, it kind of, you know, exploded uh, very quickly because a lot of people, I think, are interested in that topic. So thank you to everybody who listened to that episode and gave feedback and engaged in conversations. I want to give a shout out to Andrew Wheeler. (laughs) Sent me an email last night and said that he started listening to the podcast on a Friday night. And then by 5 p.m. Saturday, he was at episode 19. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I'm so sorry about that, Adam. I was about to say, yeah. And then here's what's funny. He came to church. He goes to the Murfreesboro campus of the Experience, uh, where uh, the network of churches that um, the campus I pastor is in. And I was preaching at the Murfreesboro campus. So he rolled up to church and there was me preaching. And his his email subject line said, possible OD of Josh, that he might have too much of me at that point. So nice, nice. Um, that's a terrifying thought of having to listen to, to Gabe and I talk for that long, but Andrew, thank you for listening, brother. That's, that's really cool to hear that, uh, you're getting yeah. blessed by these. So, so I've had a request to next episode, talk about the peach cobbler story. <laughs> <laughs> so those, those who have listened this far, we're going to leave you on a cliffhanger and a little teaser for, for next episode that we talk about peach cobbler. Oh story, man. I haven't story. thought about peach cobbler in a long time. That's a, that's an yeah. interesting one. Yeah. So yeah. Awesome. That was a, that's a blast from the past. Well, wow, that's a memory I kind of wanted to forget, but you brought it up. That's great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for listening. And uh, we look forward to next time to uh, hear all about peach cobbler. So yep. see you guys. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.